the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 275 and I am Paul Spain. And I'm Mark Derricker. Welcome along, Mark. Great to have you back. It's great to be back. Now, uh, there's been a bit of tech news going on, uh, well, even even today. Uh, Apple have been making announcements in, uh, in Cupertino. They have indeed. They're, they're, they're making smaller and bigger things. Yes, uh, mostly smaller. So we've got the iPhone SE, which has been rumoured for some time, so that was not a huge surprise in many regards. Uh, basically an iPhone with a 4-inch screen, which we've seen before in years gone by with the 5 and 5S and, 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 and so on. Uh, and really the design of it looks incredibly familiar because it is. An iPhone. Um, because, because it's very much the uh, same as the iPhone 5, uh, but the innards are iPhone um, 6S innards. So um, one of the reports online said Apple has not released a new phone, uh, which I thought was a, a little bit harsh, um, but I can, I can see where they're coming from. They're launching it in New Zealand here at $750, so that's, that's much lower price point when you consider that most of the capabilities are virtually the same as what we get in an iPhone uh, 6S. So yeah, that's it's quite a big drop for Apple, and you know we've wondered for a long time: Are Apple going to come in at a lower price point? And the way they've done that in the past is with you know releasing or, or continuing to sell old model iPhones. But this is right up to the current spec. Uh, although you know we're well down the track towards the next iPhone, no doubt an iPhone seven uh, later on in the year. So it's. A move that I'm sure will help them because their sales have been flagging a little bit. They have, uh, you know, have, have dipped, and I would imagine this is the sort of thing that's going to pick up some market share for them, um, or help with encouraging those people that are on older iPhones that have been, you know, trying to avoid replacing them, uh, jump jump in. What's what's your thought? Well, it's not an Android device, so I haven't really followed it too closely, although. Can we confirm more for me? I know um, you're an Android fan, but you know the reality is that a pretty big, uh, so, you know, per- percentage of uh, certain groups, um, you know, will be using the iPhone. I think you know around the world, it's uh, it's maybe not twenty percent uh, percentage of smartphone users. Android definitely has the the, the bigger market share, um, but at that sort of higher premium end, um, you know, iPhones have always sold very very well. They're definitely the phones that kind of like I think the music people go for because it's effectively just the iPod continued on and they get newer versions of iPods. But I've seen quite a few people not very too happy with Apple Music, so I don't know exactly what's happening there or whether people will be switching away from iPhones and going, ah, I just want MP3s again. Or, But is it an iPhone SE or is it an iPhone 6 SE? I'm not entirely sure. SSE. So they've dropped the numerical identifier at this stage, but you can imagine they might well add it, add it back in, or An do, iPhone or do, SE? or do and refreshes. Just always have a current SE model. So when the iPhone seven comes out, maybe in twelve months, we'll just see a refreshed iPhone SE, yeah, based on the based on the seven design. It's, that's, that's a possibility. I mean, it's a little bit hard to know. Um, when I think about a bunch of people that I know who have got older iPhones, they are not yet used to a bigger screen. So this coming in at the same screen size that they're already using but a much lower price point, probably going to make it a lot easier for them to uh, to replace their old, you know, broken down, screen cracked iPhone, you know, 4, 5, 5S, you know, etc. Yeah. So I was more looking at the um, the features and stuff of the new OS X release that they also released today. So I haven't really looked at the tech specs of the SE. There was a rumor a while ago that they were going to be dropping headphone jacks, and a yeah, lot of people were complaining, going, "No, don't do that." So no. I mean, basically, from a hardware perspective, it's it's you know very much like the um, uh, the iPhone 5S in terms of the appearance 
And so you've got the standard headphone jack, but the innards are, are all basically straight out of the um, right. iPhone 6S in terms of uh, you know, camera and uh, p- performance and so on. So very, very similar. And we've, um, not, we've not changed any adapters again or... No. No, that's good. So um, yeah, so an interesting move. Um, and of course, I've got the um, I've got the iPad um, Pro sitting here in front of me now. Um, this is a very powerful um, tablet from um, Apple, and of course, and this is this is the original one that was launched uh, last year. But now they're coming in with one with a smaller screen, nine point seven inch, uh, which seems like a um, you know, an interesting move. It makes sense for them to cover as many bases as they can if they want to sell as many products. But there's certainly been some discussion out there uh, from people just, you know, wondering what Apple are doing. They just seem to have such a big variety of, of products now trying to cover every single uh, base and that, uh, you know, they're saying this is what people have been asking for. And in the past, that wasn't kind of Apple's way was to deliver what people asked for. It was more they decided what people wanted and they would uh, deliver on that. So, so it's so kind of curious. It, it, it almost feels like they're copying the design elements from a competitor like Sony. I mean, not Sony, um, Samsung. That let's just put everything in every size we can that people want and we'll just see what sticks. And whether that's the the lack of jobs being controlling and Tim Cook going, actually, well, the the market kind of actually wants a few variety. Well, they're they're a big, they're a they're a big enough company; they can afford to carry uh, a variety, and maybe this will help them sell a few more products. I would think it will, but in terms of exactly how many and what this will do for the bottom line. Um, it's hard to know. I mean, I think definitely from a market share perspective, having that variety is going to is going to help them. Uh, will having sort of lower priced variations on some of these uh, products, uh, you know, cannibalise the sales of the higher end products? Mm, maybe a, a little bit, but um, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how the developer community on that side reacts because, unlike Android, which from the the outset applications were designed for multiple screen sizes and a lot of applications kind of adapted when the original iphone came out with like the ipad it was let's just maximum uh, double size everything yeah Unless- but i mean they're sort of long long past that now with the varying varying screen sizes resolutions between you know ipad minis and ipad pros and you know ipad air and uh, you know variety variety of iphones and ipods as well yeah. still still in the market I, so i think the programming model is still kind of very much it's you've got set sizes still it's not we actually query the device for the size and we kind of adapt uh, there's a bit. Of, there's a bit of flexibility there uh, now because, for instance, with the split screen, uh, split screen on the yeah. iPad, iPad Pro. So, um, I, yeah, I think uh, Apple have certainly made things a little, a little bit more flexible than they uh, than they want, once were. Um, but yeah, I'm. I, I think there's a little. There's a little bit of time to see. Certainly, look forward to uh, you know seeing the new devices in person uh, over the next. Um, next couple of weeks and um yeah we we will see but uh, i don't think this is going to do apple any harm but there's certainly yeah. some commentary out there uh, with people being you know somewhat bored by by apple's uh, annou- announcements today I, I i think one of the biggest comments that i've seen from various people that i've spoken to online and just a few places that i've been reading is like well we haven't had a macbook refresh for a while and when are we going to get new macbook pros or come on, we, we want something more than just a phone. You're not just a phone company. And that's what I'm waiting for, to see what's going to come out next in the actual computer side. And Yeah, um, that has certainly been quite a big discussion, I think, amongst Mac users because some, some of the products certainly have not had uh, the sort of refresh people would expect by now. Uh, I mean, of course, we've, we've got... Um, um, the new Intel chips, you know, launched um, late last year in terms of the, the six-gen core or, or, or Skylake-based um, Intel chips that tend to sit in in, in these machines. And uh, yeah, we're we're waiting uh, for a refresh there when we look at the um, um, the Retina MacBook uh, Pro. 
looking at um, the, Ma- the, the MacBook and, and even the MacBook Air. Um, most of the most of these have been have been quite a while. Um, I think the one that a lot of people I've spoken to are waiting for is something with the Mac Mini. Yeah, well, that's been uh, it's been sort of probably in the direction of a year and a half. Uh, I think October 2014, the the, the last one that was launched. Um, and the Mac Pro, it will be interesting to see what Apple do in that space. So I would imagine they must have something um, up their sleeve because that's been um, uh, late 2013 that that was announced. I mean, it wasn't available um, quite yeah. quite that early. Certainly not in New Zealand. Uh, we got hold of that, I think, early uh, early early 2014. So. Uh, yeah, there's there's got to be a refresh coming there, and it, and I think a lot of people were expecting those uh, Mac book refreshes to get announced today. The fact that they haven't, uh, I don't think it's a big deal. I would imagine that it's something they've got up their sleeve to uh, to do uh, fairly soon. That's that's my guess anyway. Yeah. Um, now uh, other bits and pieces. Apple are um, off to court with uh, FBI. This week, uh, we hear of FBI. There was a suggestion online today that they've uh, they found a workaround to um, to get at the data that they were trying to get at on this uh, this uh, the iPhone in question. Uh, and then on, I guess a somewhat related matter, um, we're hearing that quite a number of companies in in the uh, in the world of email are um, getting behind. A improved standard as far as encrypted email transmission goes. Now, noting that your day job sees you working for um, a company that works in the field of email with SMX, um, yep. is this an area of interest to you? It's definitely an area of interest. I don't believe we are currently looking at this. Uh, this is a relatively new spec that's being worked on um, SMTP STS I believe it is, the secure, strict transport um, yeah what's it actually, it's the strict transport security which is kind of like taking, it's an extension further further on from TLS and SSL and being a lot more strict over if you don't support TLS, then we won't fall back to plain text transmission. So it would basically mean if, if this becomes a standard that uh, if SMTP strict transport security becomes a standard, uh, then most people, yeah, people, people would be able to become relaxed about the way their emails are transmitted. Whereas today, when you are sending an email or receiving an email, depending on who who is the 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 person at the other end, there is a um, there's a there's a, a a a more than tiny chance that the email will be transmitted in clear text, which from a a, a non uh, technical perspective is a little bit like. Um, the level of security that you get if you scribble something confidential on a postcard and drop it in a letterbox. You know, anyone well, between the, the sender and the receiver you're, you're could fold, see it, right? You've fo- you folded that piece of paper over with the words, do not read. <laughs> yes. And you've just put it in the letterbox with no sellotape, nothing to keep it there. Yeah. And yeah. you're just going, oh, but yeah. Should be all so, right. So the postman who picks it up out of the letterbox could accidentally just fold it, turn it over. Yes. So that's the man in the middle, effectively. And but the more and more people are using things like webmail, like say Office three six five, Outlook via the web, Gmail, where they're not actually in control of SMTP themselves. If it's the providers like Google talking to off Outlook, or yeah, to between, other between those big players, they're generally going to have encrypted communications between them yeah. automatically. And but e- and even if they do STS, that's not you, you don't see that yourself. So it's only really. You using, say, Eudora or Thunderbird or those kind of things where you would probably be more likely to be man in the middle. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of risk. So anyway, I think um, this is this is a good move for the industry to, um, to you know, make yep. email something you can rely on a little bit more in terms of how it's transmitted. So I, I would also, there's not really a downside yeah. of this at all, is there? I would also point out that this is only really the, the transport of email. It's not actually the encrypted content that's being stored. So 
once it's been delivered to a recipient, it's still on your hard drive in plain text. Or in some, some format, depending, yeah. depending on the on the system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there might be some people that would be saying, hey, this is not good for the FBI to listen in and so on. But they've always got their ways of, uh, of getting at things at one end or another. Uh, and I would I would think anyone who is needing to hide stuff today would be um, would be doing their darndest to uh, make sure it's encrypted uh, while it's being transported. Uh, now on to uh, on to other topics. The um, what's being uh, called the driverless bicycle. Now, do bicycles have drivers anyway? No, they have riders. Uh, so that was that was the title. There's now a driverless bicycle. This was in uh, in stuff um, a couple of days ago, and uh, yes, they're saying that a team of engineering students has come up with a driverless bicycle. I think what they're talking about is an is an autonomous uh, bicycle in those in those regards. So. Um, a, a bicycle that you could put somebody on who maybe isn't uh, isn't capable of riding it in in entirety in terms of being able to steer themselves and and get themselves around. Yeah, I, I think they're targeting disabled people and trying to help them there and have a a bike that can be turned from autonomous into a normal bicycle and yeah, and that and we've gone dark. No, it's not too dark. It's fine. Unlike Radio Live the other night, which was completely off air, I believe, Paul. Apparently. Apparently so. Apparently so. Uh, no, just somebody turned one of the lights out. All right. Um, now, on Sophia. To, yeah. On, this is a very creepy robot from Hanson Robotics. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's one of those robots where it, it's, got an, it's got muscles that around the facial mo- motion, the... The way the eyelids move, the cheeks move, and it looks very humanoid. And the only thing that in the video that they've got on the website that kind of still throws it into the uncanny valley is they've got the see-through transparent skull. So if if they put like a wig on it, then it would look a lot more humanoid, human, which would also be quite creepy because it's so what, yeah. What's your what's your thought on the whole con? Maybe you can describe what it what it looks like. It's a it's a woman's face, so it's kind of like a, a bust. So you've got the neck up with the face, and then the, at the back of the skull, it kind of goes into the clear plastic where you, you can see all the innards of all the the computer and the AI and all the the tech behind it. But um, as you talk to this robot, she she listens. She's got um glass. Uh, cameras in her eyes that do motion tracking so as you move she will like move her eyes and her she rotates her head lifts it up and down so she's like fully tracking you plus she understands certain keywords and phrases and stuff so she will know when you're telling a joke or your if your face is looking sad she will actually mimic some of those facial expressions to like look sad and actually, like, smile back at you as she's talking. As, as you as you start saying something in a elevated voice to be more excited, she'll respond, and it gives that kind of full kind of motion that you're actually talking to someone, as opposed to just Alexa, hello. It it does seem like something that we've seen in the movies, TV, uh, but it's not really something we've seen. A whole lot of in reality yet, right? No, this is sort of you know very much at the at the. Um, I'm not going to say it's at the forefront in all regards, but certainly uh, um, you know some aspects of it are pretty spooky and 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 freaky in terms of where where this is at. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what they're aiming her usage to be. Whether she's just going to be like a, an assistant who's actually an assistant or if it's still just purely in the research side of things yeah um i mean i i'm i've been very curious about the movement forward into robotics and you know we know that uh, more and more of this technology will uh you know start handling things that can be that you know we've had to do other ways in the past and you know when when we look back over the past you know few decades there have been 
various very uh, specific, you know, often sort of single-purpose type, um, you know, gadgets and 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 technologies that that help us with things. Whether it's the, you know, the washing machine, which is a you know. A, as a robot to do our washing so we don't have to do it manually although I think most people today would have no idea uh, too much about what would be involved to do washing manually um, except uh, for those of us that have been backpacking and whatnot and uh, you know you're uh, uh, you, you're forced to have to uh, wash some clothes in the sink and so on. But you know, other than those scenarios, um, you're usually near a washing machine that can sort of do that job for you. And of course, we've got a you know dish, dishwasher uh, sort of falls into that category. Um, there's, an, I guess, the, the the microwave and in, in, in some way it sort of automates yeah, cooking, we still cooking need processes. Someone, we still need someone to put the dishes from the clothes machine into the microwave into the dryer right and i guess that's where they're sort of mostly sort of single use these types of things right um and but you know what we're now starting to see is as these sort of you know futuristic things that you can imagine we'll be able to do lots and lots and lots of things and we'll be able to learn for themselves and it would be that robot that would actually put the dishes in the clothes dryer like i just mentioned should they look like should these things look like people is that good or is that bad? What's your what's your pick? You, yeah, I mean, you, it was sounding like you're a little bit freak, freaked out um, in this particular uh, instance. I'm not entirely sure. I think it would. I'd have to see one in person to actually judge my real kind of thoughts on that. Um, I guess it depends on whether it is just a head or whether it's a full autonomous robot that is like running around in, like, say, iRobot style and doing things, or a kind of Dalek-looking Davros where it's a a robot body with a head. Because that, that would just be kind of... It'd be cool, but it would also be kind of creepy. Yes, but just, it w- but would just, be creepy. But just having the head wouldn't actually be any use. However, I could imagine for, say, therapy and for people who are in accidents and needing someone to talk to having someone who was humanoid who could be of comfort that could actually be a very good kind of psychological connection and help them there maybe i think it's one of those kind of things that until we actually see these things in the flesh that we won't actually be able to truly answer that question yeah um i mean Boston Dynamics, which is part of Google, they some of their stuff they've show, shown off. Uh, obviously, they've got ones that are um, uh, very animal-like, with sort of four legs. But they've also shown off ones that are uh, more, you know, human-like in terms of uh, two legs and being able to keep themselves upright. And when they get pushed over and so on, they can get back up. I mean, if you combine all of these different bits and pieces that are going on, uh, we'll have a giant spider with a head. Yes, and that would be creepy. Something out of Toy Story. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, some of it is is pretty freaky, but um, it all comes down to how they're programmed. But reality is, is people will do bad, you know, bad stuff with the technology. I'm sure, uh, but yeah, hopefully not in 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 too many cases. Um, but in terms of you know the, the capabilities of what these things will be able to do in terms of work. Um, I think they're going to pretty easily justify their costs because it doesn't take too long before the costs come down. And mm. if you think of the technology that goes into a smartphone and technology that goes into varying sorts of appliances and cars and so on, you know, even if one of these robots was going to cost $100,000, if it's able to do a you know reasonable amount of work and isn't going to cost too much to maintain it over, say, five years or ten years... Um, that you know that hundred thousand dollars, which I'm sure would come down quickly, um, is pretty easy to justify. And I know that you know, and uh, um, in the past, you know, we've heard of robots that are maybe more down that sort of single use uh, security guard robots that have been used in malls and uh, I think uh, Japan after hours and so on, patrolling around. Um, you know, if you're replacing people with a with a robot. And, uh, you know, it costs the same as maybe a, a year's salary for a person, uh, but it's going to keep running for a good few years, then uh, these things become pretty easy to uh, justify if they've got strengths that humans have um, because 
of course for quite some time to come they're going to have some shortcomings in terms of comparisons with humans right definitely i think probably the the biggest thing that people would have to come to terms there would be the rise of unemployment for people who weren't in um higher skilled labor or work that wasn't just those menial kind of tasks that what are you saying about what i do mark well, we'll just replace podcasters with, with robots. Yes. Yeah. Mm, mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, secu- yeah. security guards and those people who work really horrible hours to make ends meet, mm. they do that to provide for their families because there's obviously not... A, um, the, well, I, I guess I'm putting words into people's people's jobs that could lead me into a lot of poo, but... Yeah, I think but you the, need the, to be a little bit careful. But the, the, these are kind of jobs that... They're, they're not um, they're not the jobs that a lot of people do willingly and they're like long hours they're, they're hard jobs that that you wouldn't necessarily want to do like all the really heavy lifting jobs um, they have their own kind of health issues and safety issues and all those kind of things if we start re- replacing them with robots well, what are they going to do for work what are the, the people in the freezing works going to do we already have people on strikes for losing jobs at freezing works and all those kind of stuff. So that problem is still going to continue and probably even increase. And I think it's probably the the social aspect of robots rather than the robot aspect of robots. Yeah, and I mean, there's been a lot of discussion that has been going, um, you know, into these sorts of topics and you know, political uh, basis. I think you know, la- labour. Uh, government in New Zealand have been, uh, you know, talking about a sort of a um, a universal type wage where you know everyone will get a certain amount of money, um, you know, as as a minimum. So if you're if you're not working, you know, regardless, you're going to get this uh, um, this this base amount. So it's I think it's be it's certainly being considered. The question is when and how would that be practical is it just completely a ridiculous concept but i'm not sure that it it is a ridiculous concept if we get to that point where there are a bunch less jobs and i'm not 100 percent convinced that that's that's going to be the case yet because we've generally found things for people to do the industrial you know revolutions come along and so on and mm. you know most mostly people we found you know more than enough for people to do out there uh in general so i'm not sure that we're um we're quite on the verge of that yet but there's certainly a lot of unknown out there and if nothing else were to change then absolutely we would be we will be in the position in the not too distant future where a whole lot of jobs will disappear and of course as we move into that world where we have um, the autonomous vehicle, hey, that takes hundreds of thousands or millions. Well, globally, that would take um, you know millions of jobs out of the mix that would uh, would no longer exist. Now, there are plenty of situations where you still need people associated with vehicles, uh, but those people might not be driving uh, any longer. So, it's. Um, it's a fascinating future ahead, but I'm not too fearful about it. Not too panicked just yet. No. I, I think once, if those jobs do disappear, we'll find other avenues to employ people. I, I think I've, I've spoken to enough taxi drivers who have kind of said, back home I was a, a physicist or an engineer or doing others kind of stuff, but because that's the only jobs that I can get here is the taxi driving jobs. Well, if those jobs went away, we might actually be able to find and a lot of these other jobs go away, well, we might need more engineers, we might need more creative people to actually come up with new technology, and actually the robots themselves will op- open up new avenues for these people who might have those skills. Are the robots going to invent jobs for them? Is that what you're saying? It's quite possible that the, the advent of having robots will actually open up new jobs. Yes, I think. I mean, there's definitely uh, potential for new new jobs that we haven't, um, you know, had before or haven't, haven't don't, don't, don't exist dog. today. So, yep. yeah, I agree with that. Um, now, something I wanted to jump in on uh, local local story: um, the Tasman um, Global Access Cable that you know we heard about first going back. Oh, must be uh, in the direction of a couple of years now. Um, this was. 
the um, internet connection or, or um, you know fibre connection between New Zealand and Australia that was announced was going to be a joint venture between Spark, Vodafone and Telstra. Uh, it still is, although the, the, um, the ownership split has, has changed a little bit. And uh, they're they're just kicking kicking that uh, that build off now. So um, and that's, um, in, that's in Raglan, I believe. Yeah. So Alcatel Lucent Submarine Networks, uh, who are who are now uh, part of uh, Nokia after uh, recent mergers, uh, basically will be um, will be running that link from um, as you say from uh, sort of Raglan, which is quite good, I think, from a diversity perspective because. We've been relying very much on the southern uh, cross cables. That uh, uh, you know, we've got two of those coming in to Auckland, one one on each sort of uh, side, each coast. Uh, this, by moving it a little bit further south, gives I think um, gives uh, and and just adding an extra connection um, makes New Zealand's chance of getting cut off from the outside world. Uh, much much lower once this connection is established and uh, and and in place uh, because things do happen. In fact, uh, Tasmania uh, recently has had issues with their connectivity, and apparently a number of ISPs have got themselves really stuck because they they maybe didn't have contracts in place uh, across some of the alternative cables. And when the main primary cable's gone out, uh, they've they've been in a in a spot of bother. Uh, so there will be scenarios, I'm sure, where uh, we'll we'll get issues with the uh, Southern Cross Cable that uh, links New Zealand to Australia and uh, up to up to North America. Uh, but this will give that uh, diversity or extra diversity on on top of those two connections that we have uh, today. So is, um, any downsides to this? I think it's got to be it's got to be all good for, uh, for for New Zealand, doesn't it? I think so. It'll I don't know whether this will actually affect any pricing of residential internet to kind of offset any of that, or... Well, we've, we've been told that our rates are competitive with what gets offered in Australia uh, in terms of internet connectivity via the Southern Cross Cable. Uh, this, I guess, opens opens us up to connections to North America via channels other than the Southern Cross Cable because there are, there's lots of other you know connectivity uh, once we link in to Australia, to the rest of the world. Um, so I'm not sure we, we would see any major changes in that. And, uh, you know, certainly the way things have been heading, where we've moved to uh, unlimited internet plans in New Zealand, I think that's a great thing. I think it's still more common here in New Zealand than it is in Australia. Uh, in the US, where unlimited internet, uh, you know, uncapped uh, internet connectivity was the norm, that's actually started turning in the other direction, and mm. a lot of uh, providers starting to cap their connections. Uh, so, you know, in those regards, we're not in in too bad a state. I think, you know, probably most people would like the uh, the price of internet uh, to come down. Um, other other than those that are working uh, and, and making money from selling internet connectivity, but I don't think there's huge margins in there. So. Um, yeah, this this may bring some benefits to um, uh, certainly to Vodafone and uh, and Spark. I'm not sure how the, the the others feel feel about it. It's a 70 million US dollar investment, um, slightly different from uh, what the Herald reported. Uh, they said it was a billion dollar investment, uh, so they were getting a little bit mixed up with their first article on on this that came out last week. But uh, yeah, a bit uh, a bit north of um, hundred. Uh, million New Zealand dollars, so it's, it's still a reasonably uh, sub- substantial cost, but a, a fraction of what it would cost to put a new uh, connection in all the way from New Zealand up to North America, which I think uh, last figure we saw on that was in the four hundred million uh, sort of direction. Yeah, I think for, for any companies who are, who are wanting to run their own data centres over here that have international customer bases, having that extra cable will be beneficial to them because they've got that backup route for if the Southern Cross does go down, then as a company we could still be online through an alternate route. So it'll right. be ultimately beneficial yep. there. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so anyone that's that's exporting uh, services and, and hosting them in, in New Zealand, which is, is a good point. Uh, although, you know, more and more I imagine people will be moving things into uh, uh, you know, Amazon and Microsoft data centres uh, in varying other parts of the world. Um, you know, particularly Australia in terms of some of the uh, those commodity type type services. But I'm sure there will continue to be things offered from New Zealand. Yeah, definitely. Mm. 
Okay, no, that's um, that's a good a good point. Now, what do you think about this um, new PlayStation uh, VR virtual reality uh, headset, which is, has been announced? Um, the, I mean, there's been a bit of commentary out. When I look at it, it doesn't look a whole lot different from the uh, Sony headsets that I've had to play around with uh, in the future. Uh, in the future, goodness. Uh, You've got a time machine that you haven't <laughs> told us about? Yeah, that's a secret, and I'll tell oh. you. No, it was in the, in the past. Um, so, you know, Sony have been doing these uh, um, headsets for a little while that uh, you know you you put on and they'll give you um, uh, you know 3d viewing and um, uh, audio and and so on and you'd link them into another device for the video feed um, but you know what we're looking at now is this you know full uh, PlayStation uh, uh, VR product uh, coming in at 399 uh, US dollars so you know not not particularly cheap and of course we've got uh, things like the Oculus Rift um, HTC's uh, Vives so there's a, f- a fair bit of competition out there but of course um, you know when it comes to uh, to gaming um, you know PlayStation has been uh, the king there for a while with the uh, PS4 so what's what's your thoughts on this in, in terms of uptake are a lot of people ready to spend uh, 400 US dollars on a virtual reality headset to uh, take them away from the world? I think those people who are the kind of people who upgrade to the PS4 on on day that it's released and the new Xbox the day it's released and have both PS4s and Xboxes are probably going to be the people who will be buying this anyway. Those people who are into their games will definitely be checking it out. Um I'm not a gamer, so I haven't really bothered to really kind of check out a lot of the VR stuff that's been going on. But um, I remember when I was playing with the this, uh, the Gear VR, that it was the latency and the pixelation of the display was quite jarring on the eyes. And maybe that's because I'm also wearing glasses. Um, that it gave me a lot of sore eyes even after like ten minutes of u- of use. So. I understand the PlayStation VR is 18 milliseconds response yeah, very, time. Yeah, very low latency. And so. a lot fast. I, I, I think it's a lot faster than some of the others. Um, I'm not entirely sure of exactly how fast the other players are in the market. But um, it sounds like the technology is getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And There's I, pretty strong um, competition, isn't there? I mean, yeah, what, what we're seeing is a number of products... Uh, that are actually you know pretty good in terms of what they're capa- capable of, and I th- you know th- I think this is a re- we're off to a reasonably good start with the virtual reality products, and um, then we've got you know Microsoft about to uh, at least to developers uh, launch their um, the Hololens Hololens for uh, augmented reality, very very different price point of course, uh, you know in the sort of five thousand dollar direction yeah, and, here in New Zealand, qu- quite a different market I think. Because that's augmented, whereas virtual reality, they're kind of in a similar space, but they're quite different spaces, I think. And I think what it's going to come down to is either the content or the applications. I can see architectural places using VR technology to like take customers through walkthroughs. They've already been doing like 3D VRs just on laptops, but being able to put on some goggles and actually walk through your house and sit on your, on your chair and watch, watch a movie in your house... And go for a wander on Mars, and yeah, and all, you know, there, there's some pretty fascinating, uh, you know, potential things here, isn't there? Yeah, I think the the goggles themselves are still quite bulky and large. That is going to be kind of the main detractor for the general public, and uh, but that that'll come down. Prices will come down. Um, I. Th- it also depends on the platform that they're on, like the PS4 only or Oculus Rift have said they're going to be Windows only. They're not going to touch Macs unless Apple come out with a decent laptop with decent hardware and and that kind of stuff. And so it depends on what systems that you run yourself. If you're an Apple person, then you're not necessarily going to be bothered with VR until you can get an Oculus Rift for it. Yep, yep. Okay, so... One more topic that I'd like to discuss is um, Domino's and 
an autonomous pizza delivery robot. Um, this is just reasonably logical sort of stuff, um, but they're they're making sort of noises before anyone else. Uh, last year in the US, Domino's launched a. Um, a modified vehicle that had an oven, well, a warming, uh, basically a warming drawer built into it for, uh, you know, keeping pizzas warm while they're being delivered. Uh, what we've heard about now is um, uh, a, a, a small vehicle um, that will, it's, it looks as though it's, and from what we're reading, it's sort of geared up to mostly uh, drive around on the footpath. It's, a, you know, looks like a a, a variation um, on an electric you know wheelchair uh, yeah. type type thing um, uh, bit fun- funkier funkier looking but uh, you know you you get the concept um, and it's got enough uh, juice in it to drive around about 20 Ks uh, but it'll be able to carry pizza from um, uh, no doubt from the store to someone's home and then you know you have to walk out of your home to uh, to go and uh, pack it up. Now is this useful enough or do they need to go to the next level and actually have it so that it really adds some value and by that I mean you know if you could order your pizza um, it takes them you know probably takes them two or three minutes to put all the ingredients onto the pizza and then they throw it in the oven then you wait 10 minutes and and today if you order a pizza probably you know most cases take sort of 30 to 60 minutes to arrive uh, if this was a case where they make the pizza and then drop it into the autonomous vehicle that cooks it en route to you then you've got a benefit because you don't have the uh, you know you you might save half an hour or is this good enough to be uh, to be of, of a lot of benefit for uh, dominoes and for customers well just based on the fact that the number of times i've ordered pizzas from various different places and the drivers have gone to either the wrong location or they've just actually had the wrong meal that they've packed at least we might have google backed maps and they might actually be able to get to the venue correctly um i I think there's still going to be that foolproof problem of oh we actually gave you the wrong order or that kind of stuff. Um, well, you could imagine that, that that if you're uh, if you're dealing with a robot, you would be able to have it, uh, you know, scan the receipt or something or whatever is attached to the box and uh, make sure it all matches up, right? Yeah, it would also have to like scan the pizzas to make sure that they actually had the right pizzas. All of that's um, possible, though. True, it's true. Yeah. So, however, the, the, the flip side of this is: do we really want to make it easier for people to order unhealthy pizza? It's interesting that it's the pizza, but this doesn't necessarily this. just apply to pizza, right? I mean, the whole concept could, could whole, be no, yes. could be all sorts. You know, it could deliver it could deliver anything. Uh, you know, it could be delivering it, it could be delivering a courier to you. Yeah. it could be delivering other food. It could, uh, you know, turn up at, at one store, do a transaction for you, pick up the new uh, your new iPhone SE from a store, and then bring it to you in its locked compartment. Uh, if it doesn't get beaten up by another robot or a or a human somewhere in between, and they've got the NSA little little prong that will just put in some firmware on delivery. Hmm. I, I think technology wise, I think it's kind of cool because it's like it's because it, it kills it, jobs because it kills jobs and it actually <laughs> possibly opens up well more jobs for people designing robots and putting together the robots. But how long till we actually start have to seriously consider the five laws? What are those five laws? I can't remember. <laughs> do not do, Sent, har- do, sent, not do sentient, harm. sentient beings that need to be told to behave. Well, I mean, human, humans have a have a bit of that sort of stuff built in. So I think you kind of have to have to build some um, uh, some morals into your robots too, don't you? Yep. Yeah, and and to, and to start with, that's not too much of a problem because. Yeah, well, they they only do what you tell them to do, but uh, that will expand pretty quickly. Unfortunately, you have to tell them exactly what you want them to do. Now, the New Zealand element of this is that um, Transport Minister uh, Simon Bridges is saying, uh, because this, this invention sort of coming out of uh, Australia, 
and it's, it's been tested in Australia. It sounds like this could be still two or three years out before they've actually got something uh, yeah, able to fully operate. I, I don't know why it would be that far away. The technology, uh, to me, s- sounds uh, you know not that difficult, although autonomous uh, vehicles around uh, streets and, and footpaths uh, probably has a challenge or, or, or two to be uh, to be addressed, particularly uh, you know keeping it as a reasonably low cost uh, um, bit of tech. But uh, yeah, his his point is that uh, he really wants this sort of stuff in New Zealand, and they're uh, they're um, doing everything they they can to make it um, to make it possible for uh, these to be available in New Zealand. I'm, I'm just wanting to make sure that there's going to be like built-in gyroscopes so that when inevitably someone's going to push over and start doing cow tipping on your robot if your pizza falls over onto the side it's going to be a mess so you want to have so you want to have internal gyros yeah Mm, mm. right. now you've been having a lot of problems with your surface I hear yeah, um, in, in recent well, we've, I've certainly uh, seen, a, uh, seen a few issues. And so I was keen, you know, last week I put it out on the podcast if anyone had any experiences want to share. Um, one, or, one or two that we've, um, that we've heard, heard back on. Um, I think there's a, there's a mix out there in the market. There are certainly people that are, are using um, surfaces without too many, too many issues. So that's good. Uh, but there are also people having um, having some frustrations. Uh, that includes problems, and this was one thing that we didn't mention, but um, that I didn't mention last week, but that we have seen, is some issues with um, Microsoft support. So when when people have been having issues and they're trying to get sort of warranty support, calling into the call center. Um, so one chap that I came across, uh, Ryan uh, Brinch, uh, who's on Twitter, um, he'd been posting around some of his his frustrations, and yeah, fair fair to say he hadn't had a great uh, experience. And I'd say that his experience certainly uh, lines up a little bit with uh, with some of what we've seen. Um, he me- he mentioned um, you know. He was uh, on the phone for an hour, getting passed from call centre to call centre, um, constantly having to tell them again his name, product, serial number, um, etc. And then, uh, in one case, he you know he he logged a, an issue with uh, with a Surface product, and then two days later, no response, um, which is is I think is is pretty poor on Microsoft's part. Now I don't know. Um, you know all the ins and outs of um, of this this particular incident, but it's not completely unique uh, compared to some of the other situations that that we've come across. Um, so you know it sounds like yeah, Microsoft have a bit of work to do, uh, not only in just sort of solving some of those uh, stability issues that we mentioned previously, which they seem to be working through. Um, the devices are becoming more reliable, I think, with each firmware. Uh, update, but um, some behind-the-scenes work there as well on their uh, their support. And you know, to be fair, we've we've seen issues with other parts of Microsoft support as well. Uh, and maybe that's that their teams are too uh, too stretched. Um, one, one instance, uh, a member of my team said they you know called up and uh, spoke to somebody, uh, lodged an issue. They were even given a, a number for this particular uh, fault, and then they they called back to follow it up and were told no this. We've got nothing logged and um, no no record of it. Um, so yeah, they, they've had um, they've had a few oddities. One was uh, I think three weeks without a response, and they uh, tried to escalate this particular uh, issue up up the chain um, with the the manager of this um, engineer they were dealing with. I think in uh, maybe in India, uh, and th- those requests were uh, were ignored. So. Yeah, I think that's disappointing for you know a company of Microsoft's uh, scale that their uh, their systems would allow um, those things to uh, you know to to keep going on. Um, every company you know I'm sure has its own own challenges from time to time, um, but yeah, I, I sort of think that they could be doing a little bit better on uh, on on some of these things. It doesn't seem to be affecting the sales of 
of the product, though. No, I mean, they're selling sort of a billion dollars a quarter or so uh, of the service product, um, which, you know, I think it's, it suggests there must be some pretty satisfied customers out there, uh, too. And I think, you know, the whole concept of the Surface is one that, uh, that is pretty popular. All right. Yep. Um, well, that probably just about wraps us up for this week, Mark. So um, thank you very much for coming in. Um, my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to having you in again uh, another time at some uh, some stage. A uh, few interesting episodes coming up over the next few weeks. Um, so do, uh, do stay tuned. Uh, if you missed our extra episode, uh, worth having a listen in to episode 274, uh, where I chatted to um, Vodafone's global uh, chief technology officer, and um, yeah, quite an interesting uh, little little chit chat that we uh, that we had there as well. Um, but that's us for this week. So thank you everybody for listening in. Now, Mark, where do people track you down online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Talios or on Facebook um, or Google Plus, um, just around. Yeah, and you and your podcast. I hear you've uh, you've kicked in and. Uh, you, you've recorded your first episode for the year. Uh, no, we're recording tomorrow. Actually. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. Yes. So we're, we're recording the first illegal argument uh, Java development podcast again for this year. Excellent. Yes, yeah, so we've just been too busy with like work and too many too many music concerts th- this year. All right. Oh, it's all good fun yeah. stuff. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, that's great. And uh, listeners want to track me down. Welcome to email me anytime. Paul dot Spain at podcasts.nz that'll get to me uh, you can uh, also reach me on Twitter and Facebook uh, or through the um, uh, through the NZ Tech Podcast uh, Facebook page so plenty of places that you can reach me uh, it's always great getting uh, getting feedback or if you've got uh, questions uh, for us then uh, definitely get in touch um, yeah that's us thanks everyone for listening in catch you next week Bye. see ya The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.